we arise for the reading of the gospel. Matthew chapter 2. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod will search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the wise men, he was furious. He issued orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding countryside, from two years old and under. This was in keeping with the exact time he had learned from the wise men Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is our text. We pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Dear fellow recipients of the grace that comes to us from our loving Savior, God. Some things are hard to understand. Maybe the words may seem to be clear, but then you add in the tone of voice and perhaps expressions of the face, and it can get lost and confused in the translation. After all, what does a smile or a frown signify? Does it indicate approval, disapproval, or something quite different? How much more is it difficult it is to understand as we stand in the presence of our God of infinite wisdom and power and love to understand his ways. The hymn writer William Cooper, some two centuries plus ago, who wrote the beautiful hymn, That of God Moves in a Mysterious Way, Capture that thought, that challenge with these words. He said simply, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God rules in power over all, and he provides his providence, he provides for our daily needs, he protects us, but what about when it seems like he is frowning upon us, when trouble and suffering enter our lives? And Cooper had learned through a very difficult life not to simply judge by what he could see or by what he felt, but rather 
go back to see the smiling face of the Savior God, to witness his comfort that he provides only through his revealed will and in his word. Don't be fooled by what appears to be a frowning providence. Don't judge by that, but rather trust him for his grace. You see, that seemingly small and fragile child in Bethlehem in the manger is so much more. He is the promised King of kings. He is the one who rules with the Father and the Holy Spirit as one God, who in power rules all things in creation, who in His grace works for the good of His children, and who also rules in the glory of heaven itself. He came down on Christmas morning to remind us of God's grace, the undeserved kindness of our Savior God, Jesus Christ, to declare God's grace to us so that we might see beyond what is outward there alone. And though at times it may seem to us that the Lord is frowning in our lives, the Lord assures us that he still is very much in control and he lives for the good, uh, rules for the good of his children. And so this morning on the basis of our text, we consider this, he rules. That child king in Bethlehem continues to rule. And first in justice, crushing all who would oppose him, and secondly, in love, gathering his children to rule with him in heaven. Psalm 2 is the designated psalm for this particular Sunday, and it points ahead a thousand years in advance to the king who was to come and to the opposition of the rulers of this world and a sinful world, their hatred for his rule, but he reminds us that this king will rule. And even with their scheming or their attempts, that he is very much in charge. And he will crush all those who in sinful pride oppose his rule. Our text for this morning is very fitting. Mary and Joseph are coming off the joy of the birth of that born Savior only to be driven away, to fly away to Egypt in fear. So also, as we stand at the beginning of a new calendar year, and it seems like the joy of Christmas that we had here together is fading away rather quickly, the Lord would remind us that he is very much in control. See, when the wise men came to ask King Herod, where was the king of Jews to be born? Israel was struggling under the rule of an iron-fisted king. He was vicious and he was powerful and he had no interest in giving up his rule. And so when he heard of this newborn king of the Jews, 
He could only see him as a rival, and he would indeed smile at the wise men and say, you go and worship him, and then you come back and tell me so that I too may go and worship with him, all the while planning to kill the child. But God was indeed very much in control. He rules. You see, his plan to save this sinful world would not be set aside, and so he exposes the vicious plan of Herod. He tells the wise men to go back home another way. He warns Mary and Joseph through the angel that was there to flee to Egypt, and then he whisks them the way to safety. Herod, in his anger would go out and kill all the boys two years old and younger that were there in Bethlehem. A vicious slaughter. And there would be weeping and sorrow that could not be silenced for mothers who lost their children. And we might ask the question that is there, why did this happen? And the Lord explains in our text, he says, this was to fulfill the word of the prophet Jeremiah. And what was that word? A voice crying in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. In Jeremiah's time, Judah, the southern kingdom, all that remained of God's people stood in rebellion against the Lord time and again, and that time would run out because his judgment was about to fall on them. Most of them would be taken away in death. The few remaining would be carried off to an exile in Babylon. Ramah, perhaps, was one of the collection points for those exiles that went away. And Rachel, the favored wife of the father of the nation, Jacob or Israel, who was long since gone at that time, was pictured there as the mother of the nation that would soon no longer be there because of the judgment of the Lord against them. And this was to be a picture of what was now about to take place in Israel. The rejection of God's people at the time of the birth of the Savior. And John describes what things were like. He says, he came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. There were only a few waiting for that promised Savior. The humble shepherds, Anna and Simeon, and foreign wise men. For the church leaders, the spiritual leaders in Israel, finding the birthplace of the Savior in Old Testament Scripture was nothing more than an academic exercise. And when the wise men were sent off, no one said, may we go along with you. That event at the time of Jeremiah would prefigure what happened here. It was in its own way perhaps a, a 
a type of what was here. That constant rebellion, rejection would lead in the end to this brutal thing that took place under King Herod, who wasn't even a Jew, the slaughter of the children, and there would be weeping, God's judgment on a rebellious people. How little times have changed, have they? God has blessed our land beyond measure with wealth and prosperity, and how have we responded? With a measure of arrogance and rebellion, even the visible church, for the most part, has bowed to the pressure of a wicked world and denied the teachings of Scripture that are very clear. And the excesses that were born a century ago in that of the Roaring Twenties were only slowed down in part through a crushing depression and then a terrible world war. Soon after would come the 60s, that of the sexual revolution, where openly God's gift of marriage would be denied. The 70s, that would bring on a slaughter that goes far beyond that of Herod's legal abortion that still remains in place in most places a slaughter of the unborn in our time. And yet a call for more openness and more freedom, alternate forms of marriage and gender confusion, and beyond that, a lust for power and wealth that goes far beyond that which is produced by work. And to such Continued rebellion, the Lord speaks very clearly in Romans chapter 1. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the wickedness of men who suppress the truth. Their thinking becomes futile, confused. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. After repeated rebellion, the Lord finally says, Have it your way but you will not find happiness. You see, even if the whole world were to keep silent or to stand up in applause of the wickedness that is there around us, creation still proclaims the power of God and the conscience reveals a guilt that is there that will not be silenced. And the Lord reminds us that if not in our day, certainly in the judgment day that is yet to come, that he will crush all those who are in rebellion, oppose his will and his way. To live and die, yes, in rebellion. But dear friends, we are no less under the same, deserving of the same end. You see, each one of us has inherited a sinful flesh from fallen Adam and Eve, one that lusts after sin that is there from when we were very small. 
The holy writer says, Every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. And that rebellion bursts forth in our lives too, doesn't it? From the, the first rebellious, defiant, no of a small child, yes to anger and adultery and greed. And yet more often in our lives, it is not those obvious sins that are there, but the less obvious. And there's a song from the late 60s that is a good picture of each one of us. It was called The Dreams of the Everyday Housewife. And there, that housewife, struggling with the responsibilities within the home and the family, looks in the mirror, sees the faded dress that is there and the wrinkles that weren't there yesterday and dreams of what could have been. And don't we so often do the very same thing in our lives? The hope of getting beyond the boredom of everyday life, perhaps as a student in school or as a part of a family or in our work or even in retirement. A discontent that is there with where God has placed us in this point in our lives. We'd like to be captain of our own ship. We'd like to be king of our own universe. That sin of rebellion that is there also in our lives. And the Lord says very clearly, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. He will in the end crush all those who sinful in sinful rebellion refuse him. But now let me tell you the rest of the story. The part that is only revealed clearly in Scripture, that which we see in the child born in Bethlehem. You see, the same God who demands that sin be punished is also a gracious and loving and merciful God who would send His Son and who did send His Son to be the measure of His gift and His grace in this life and for the world that is to come. The child king born in Bethlehem is none other than God Himself come down in human flesh to rescue us from sin and to give us a hope that is for this life in His grace, but also for the world that is to come. Because He assures us that in love He is gathering His children to rule with Him. I think it's interesting how our text pulls us back to that very important thought. The holy writer quotes Hosea the prophet, and he says, Out of Egypt I will call my son. A number of times in Old Testament scripture, the Lord describes his chosen nation of Israel as my son, a term of endearment. He would call that nation out of slavery in Egypt to bring forth the promised Savior. 
But now that was simply in part a picture of what was now about to happen. Mary and Joseph and the child went down to Egypt and now not to produce a savior, the nation, but rather he would call his son to come out of Egypt to save the world from sin, that promised king. The gospel writer in his first chapter, the gospel writer John introduces him to us. He says that he was God come down in human flesh, the creator of the world, one who is truly worthy of our praise, but then describes him in this way, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That son was the messenger of God's unchanging truth. Yes, indeed, his justice demands that sin be punished. But now in Christ, that newborn king, that justice will be satisfied because his very own son will suffer and die in payment for the sins of the world. Dear friends, that king went to battle for us. He says very clearly, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. Through the blood of Christ, that perfect sacrifice offered up on the cross in our place. And a sign of victory. We see that in the empty tomb, his resurrection from the dead to make certain that Sin had been paid for in full. Forgiveness for all of our sins, including our rebellious ways, our laziness, our discontent, and our unwillingness to be ruled by our Savior God. The guilt has been removed in Christ. And in Him we have peace with God and the promise of much better to come. see, God is gathering his children in his grace. And through the Holy Spirit, the word and sacrament, he gathers children into his kingdom. And the Lord describes the change that takes place, one kingdom to another. He says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loved from the kingdom of darkness and despair. He has rescued us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, where the King, that Christ child King, will rule for his people, producing joy and comfort and peace and a hope that goes far beyond what we see in this life. Paul continues on and he says, He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And then he says he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Ever been disappointed when you get that sweepstakes promise? You've qualified to win a prize. Soon that promise is set aside with disappointment when you read the fine print that is there. The Lord says he has qualified us in Christ 
For a kingdom, it is certain in Christ. It is a kingdom that we could not earn. It is reserved for His believers, for the saints. And it is in the kingdom of light. Heaven itself. A place of pure joy. Where sin and troubles that we face in this life will be put behind us. It will be all banished. And our Savior in love will rule, and we will rule with him together in that joyful place forever in heaven. How could we ever want anything better? Trust him for his grace. How quickly we as believers at times can forget. Sadly, at times, the cares and the worries and the joys of our life can almost overwhelm us. They can become like the elephant that is in the room that crowds out everything else. And he says when we struggle with that, he says when we are tempted to think that nobody loves me or nobody cares or nobody can understand, that we have one who can and does understand because he took on human flesh, became our Savior. For we do not have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He knew hunger and hatred, betrayal and death. He can and does understand. And he was able to be our perfect Savior. Approach his throne of grace with confidence. He assures us that the sufferings that we face in this life are both necessary and also for our eternal good. In part, they are beating back our foolish desire to be our own king, to reign for ourselves, and driving us into the loving arms of our Savior who brings comfort now and a hope that will not be disappointed. The Apostle Paul spoke of his longing to be away from the troubles of this life and to be at home with the Lord. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. And yet he was led to conclude that the Lord had more work for him to do because he was still here. And so also as we face the challenges in life, remember that it is also our privilege. We have work to do in a very difficult situation to reach out with the comfort that comes alone through the Christ child born in Bethlehem, to warn and to win, yes, to speak the truth in love, to warn of the consequences, eternal consequences of repeated rebellion and bring comfort to the humble of heart in the child born in Bethlehem. What will 20 23, bring for each one of us. 
their joys and sorrows that are hidden from our eyes right now. But the Lord reminds us that we will not go forward alone. He says, step forward boldly. Hold on to the promises that are there through the word and the sacraments. He says we will never be alone because he will be there right beside us. See, he has revealed there the rest of the story that human sense can never understand. God's amazing love and grace in his son, Jesus Christ, who still rules in power and grace and glory, tending his children in this life and gathering us to be with him in heaven. Go forward with a boldness in the promises that he provides. Amen.